Hey, Marcus. Yes. Do you like movies? Yes, I do. Uh, hi, uh, Nina. Hey. Do you like movies? Some of them. <laughs> That's nice. fair enough. I like that answer. This is Zebras in America podcast, a movie podcast about movies. Back after a slight hiatus, we left but never left your hearts. And we have a special guest today. Yeah, this episode is doubly special because, like Scott said, we're returning after a bit of a hiatus. And we have a guest, a returning guest for me, Pinland Empire, but first time Zebra's guest uh, in the form of Nina Menkes. Um, this kind of serves as a part two um, for the first interview that uh, we did a few weeks ago. Hopefully you guys listened to that. Um, you don't need homework. Uh, uh, you don't need to listen to that interview to listen to what we're about to talk about, but it doesn't help because it was a really great talk. Uh, I, I got somewhat inside Nina's head, and we talked about her latest film, Brainwashed, uh, Tarkovsky, The Male Gaze, so many things. And I'm pretty sure some of that's going to be doubled on on this talk here, but that's fine, because I have new stuff to bring up. And um, yeah, so Nina, how, how are you? I'm okay. I uh, Admittedly, I'm a bit exhausted. It's It's been uh, kind of nonstop. Uh for the past few years yeah. but um this christmas i uh i hope to get some downtime because last christmas we were mixing the film and getting ready for sundance like right uh right at this time we were like yeah. mixing and it was crazy and I, I haven't had a vacation and which movie is this again that was brainwashed sex camera power that yeah. premiered at sundance uh a year ago awesome right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and now I mean, that oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. I mean to cut you off. Not quite a year ago, Jan- January of last of this year. And personally, this is Marcus speaking. I don't want to speak for Scott. It is one of my favorite films of the year. It's probably top three. I don't wow. rank from that point on. No, no. I. I it's. It seems like because you're here and I'm saying that. But I. I. I think anyone who listened to the last. Uh, an interview I did, which we'll put in the link of this episode. It's you'll you'll see that my love for this movie is pretty. It's pretty genuine, but I liked we, it a lot. Yeah, we wanted to have you back because now there's a bit more reception. Um, we can we'll, we'll talk about the good stuff, which from what I understand, it's anything is mostly good. We'll just deal with the good because, again, going back to the last episode, we're not going to name names, but I think some of the the very few people missed had some big misses uh in, in terms of their criticism so we don't need to get into that because right. you know I, th- I think a lot a lot of times when the majority of the feedback is great um we tend to dwell on like those two or three like negative things and it just kind of you know it gets a little cancer so we we, we we don't need to do that okay um i do want to you know and again we'll, we'll edit things out maybe if you don't want to say but you know first of all I was really excited because, you know, behind the scenes, Nina, you shared, uh, if you want to, outside of just critics, it's nice when you get feedback from other filmmakers. Uh, From what I understand, Celine Shiyama uh, was a big fan of Um, this movie, which makes a lot of sense, um, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I heard from Celine Shiyama that she loved the film, and Matias Pinheiro Mm -hmm. uh, just listed us as in his top ten on film comment. Um, and yeah, it means a lot to me. Those two filmmakers are extraordinary. So it's, yeah, it's great. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And film yeah. comments, a great pu- publication too. So it's nice to get that mention. It um, is. Yeah. I love film comment actually. Yeah, um, you do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Scott, any um, as far as brainwash goes, what? Uh... No, I just I just really liked it, and I'm glad that you're getting like that. People are enjoying it because I think you're a really great filmmaker. And ever since I saw Queen of Diamonds, um, I saw the trailer at BAM like oh. in two in 2019. Yeah, and I was like, I have to see this movie, <laughs> and I was because I the trailer I don't like trailers. Yeah, um, because I feel like if I'm gonna see a movie, I'm gonna see a movie anyway. Yeah, but I had I you know I I have a lot of blind spots when it comes to cinema. Um, I'm always learning, and I saw the I saw the trailer for this movie, and I was like, I've never heard of this movie. I have to see this movie. <laughs> so I saw it. I saw it in Bam, and when. Um, it was when it was on Criterion for Criterion Channel for yeah. a little while last year. Yeah. I was like, Marcus, you have to watch this movie right now. Like, stop what you're doing. <laughs> Go see this movie. And I've been I've been obsessed ever since. So, thank you for being here. I've been, you know, I was just deeply moved by by what you were doing. Oh, thank you. Well, and it's an, it, it's funny too because <clears throat> for those of you listening behind the scenes, I've been. I reached out to Nina last year to see we we were going to do an episode just on Queen of Diamond, which we'll get into in this this episode as well. Yeah. So yeah, I know Scott wanted to get that off his chest because that you know it's funny too. There was this period in in, in the early '90s where I think this movie would make for a great triple feature or quadruple feature with stuff like you know gas food lodging, roadside profits. There's mm. these like series of like independent films, West yeah. Coast based that are just like, you know, it's like outside of the Las Vegas Strip or outside of the Reno Strip or the right. L.A. Strip. It's kind of like on the outskirts of, like, parts of the West that pe- people know. Um, right. Yeah. Subconscious, it's weird. It's like there's little in common. I mean, if you want to get super vague, you can make a lot of comparisons. Trust me, I know a thing about that. But I do, I did immediately, when I rewatched Queen of Diamonds at, at Scott's uh, suggestion, it, it did make me want to go and, like, immediately watch gas food lodging back to back it makes like it makes for such a yeah yeah totally different stories and yeah you know different vibe but at the same time it just makes sense i i'm i'm not sure i don't know did did you ever have any uh ever meetings or any kind of relationship with allison anders oh yeah absolutely i mean um we were both at the ucla film school so um I knew her. Uh, I mean, I still know her. She just did a um, she just did a Q and A uh, at the American Cinematheque. She was the moderator for a screening of uh, one of my films, Phantom Love. Just mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. It was a few months ago uh, when the uh, the American Cinema, or I think it was a few months ago. I don't know. I've lost my I've lost my sense of time, but it seems like it was fairly recent. Um, the American Cinematheque did a retrospective and we did a lot of Q and A's and she did the one for, um, Phantom Love and, you know, it's, it's kind of a nice feeling that you, you know, there is this sort of community, uh, of filmmakers in LA, uh, you know, and we, we, we've known each other for so long. Um, it's, it's like amazing. (laughs) We're we're still alive and we're still doing it. So, yeah. No, it's funny because she has, she has like a a bunch of different kind of cliques. I mean that in a good way. You know, there's the Quentin Tarantino side of things. She you know she's mm. very close with him. But then she also kind of came through the ranks with like Vim Vendors, 
you know, right. she worked on Paris, Texas. Like she, right. it, it actually made me sad when she left Twitter. She was one of the main reasons that I loved Twitter because she used to share a bunch of like behind the scenes pictures from being on Paris, Texas, or like film school notes. I, wow. I, I don't know why she. Well, Twitter can sometimes be a, a, a terrible place. It's a cesspool. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just remember one. This was years ago. I went logged on in the morning and just, her account was gone, and I was really sad. Wow. But um, did you, you know, tell Allison, her that? <laughs> what's that you should tell her that <laughs> i don't have her co- I, I don't oh, have her contact oh i'll connect if you, you want to tell her that for me the i'll next connect time you, guys you. Speak. Yeah, yeah i'm sure she'd be really excited yeah. um to come on your show and everything oh that would be that'd be amazing. oh man that would be yeah wow you know this, this this little podcast that could we've had you know for 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 a podcast of our magnitude we've had some incredible guests and just like really really lucky to have you um for for the listeners that may not know about you know your newest movie do you want to give us like a little little you know tidbit about it yeah so my newest film which uh premiered in january uh at sundance and then the berlinale is a feature documentary about filmmaking um specifically it's about how the visual language of cinema actual shot design itself is connected to the twin epidemics of sexual assault sexual abuse and employment discrimination against women and it is particularly looking at almost 200 film clips from 1896 to the present Um, to show how shot design is gendered and how women are disempowered by shot design and how that connects to our real lives. And, you know, I I wanted to bring up, we, we, again, just to be clear, some of the stuff we're going to repeat, but we have zebras and pinlin are are two different things. So, so there are some, this, this is new to, to some people and, the 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 issue the 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 subject rather of context came up in our last in in, in interview and it's kind of like for those of you listening and this isn't spoiling it in anything because you can now see this uh, on it's not just canopy but you can also see it on on the through Kino correct well uh, right now it's streaming on Canopy that's right. if you have a public library card or through your university it's also mm-hmm. streaming on the Kino Lorber site Kino Now and starting December twentieth. It is uh, going to be streaming on iTunes. So oh, perfect. So by the time this goes up, yeah. when, as you're listening to this, you'll be able to see it on iTunes, by yeah. the way. That's awesome. And everybody should have Canopy because it's awesome. And yeah. <laughs> like live, you know, I just, I love going to the library. I live in Baltimore and there's a library right near my house and I go and you can rent books and rent movies and get audio books and, and, you know, uh, your Queen of Diamonds was on Canopy for a little while too, and so Queen of I, Diamonds and all of my films are now streaming on Canopy as well. See, so oh, when, you guys so hear when, that? So um, when people are like, "Where, where can I watch movies?" I'm like, "Get Canopy because all you need is your library card." Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and that's like actually, there's I think there's one or two of my movies that are not on there, but almost all my movies are on there. Um, and then they're also going to be streaming on Mubi later this year. But for now, yeah, Queen of Diamonds, uh, Phantom Love, The Bloody Child, Magdalena Viraga, 
um, Dissolution and The Great Sadness of Zohara and Brainwashed are all streaming on Canopy. Uh, while we're, uh, I just need to, uh, please everyone watch Phantom Love if, if you haven't also. It's kind of, um, to me, it stands out from your film, from your filmography, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of like, okay, it makes sense that Nina Mink has directed this. Like, I'm not, I'm not reminded of Queen of Diamonds or Bloody Child, yeah. but it's like, yeah, this definitely fits into her, um, into her filmography. But I, oh, I, I wanted to go back to what I was getting at in terms of context. This is a movie that, I don't know if intentionally is the word or whatever, but... Uh, brainwashed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't really have too much to do with context. It's it's essentially I'm, I'm just going to be very blunt here. It's just about just the imagery. Like forget context. It's just the imagery of seeing like whether it's a nude woman when like is this necessary or not, or if it's seeing a beaten woman or an abuse. It's just it's context or not. It's just the 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 regularity of of of, of seeing it. It's it's there's kind of an ex experimental nature to this documentary as well. I think yeah. that's also why I, I, I like it very much. And for those of you who don't know, the format of it, one of the things that I appreciated very much is that Nina uses her some of her films as well kind of intercut with all the other clips and her kind of, I guess, teaching. Like, that's another thing, too. This movie, to some degree, is like a class yeah. taught by Nina, if, yeah. if I may say so. Yeah. Um. I'm sorry. Did you wanna? Uh, no, I, I'm. It's. Uh, I just want to mention a few words about what you said about context. The, the 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 core idea of the film is is the um, sort of the so-called laws of shot design, which means like how is a shot actually framed? Is it you know how is it framed? What kind of camera movement? What kind of lighting? It even goes into audio. So it's looking at very very specific things of shot design in terms of how women tend to be photographed how men tend to be photographed and how those are different and so the context usually and often is um also connected to what we see in the shot um but what we are specifically pointing out is how this visual um system you know, who gets to be the subject, who gets to be the object, well, gets to be the object, um, who's, the, who's pushed into the object position and who gets to be the subject, it's a better way to say it, um, in that sense, regardless of context, regardless of whether it's a comedy, regardless of whether it's the morning or the evening, regardless of whether it's, you know, 1940 or 2021. So I, d- I just wanted to kind of clarify that. Yeah, and you know, I think this is a perfect film for also for folks who are like very like, like myself that are embedded in Twitter or Instagram, where there is this emphasis on images and imagery and you know the moving image. Yeah. If if you're fascinated by that, even 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 had a fraction that someone like myself is, this is a movie that you know you're gonna love very much. I also think, you know, it's interesting to. I'd like to see more folks kind of mention brainwash in parallel alongside up to, I don't know, I'm sure, or I don't want to assume Nina, but like, I don't know, you know, in recent years, they've been doing things where they've been counting not so much the screen time, but the amount of dialogue that women have had in movies. Yeah. Um, 
in comparison to the male counterparts and whatnot. Was that yeah. something when you made brainwash? And I'm kicking myself because I, I, we got so much into our conversation last time. There were some things I forgot, but that's why you're back. Was that something that was that was there any research into that or was there any um well that has been covered um quite a lot by um i think both the gina davis institute and the annenberg institute they both do um research and they have the resources to do research on those kind of statistics where it's like you know how many minutes of dialogue you know um male female and the comparing that but um, we were, again, really looking primarily at the visual system of shot design. Although we do touch on, you know, issues of audio. You know, there's a, there's a sequence in the film um, where we look at the way that audio is constructed in a scene from Raging Bull where there are a bunch of people at the pool. They're sitting around the pool. Robert De Niro's sitting around the pool with his friend and there's some other guys and there's the woman who's the, you know, sexual object of desire. And we break down, you know, <laughs> who we hear and who we don't hear. And it's kind of really interesting when you break it down because it's illogical. In other words, it's that the, the, you, it's not that you don't hear the woman cause she's far away. It turns out you don't hear the woman cause she's a woman. Right. That Okay, so I'm glad that you brought this up because I wanted to tie it into something that... So I've I've watched... I mentioned last time I watched Brainwash twice in 24 hours, but yeah. since then I've watched it a bunch of times more. Wow. And then... it's really good. With recent news of something like Inland Empire is, is getting a, a, a re-release, I went back and watched some scenes, and then you know what happens when you go back. You want to watch a movie for some scenes, and next thing you know, you're just watching the movie from start to finish. Yeah. And because being a new parent and working as an architect during the daytime, I'm, I'm just kind of busy. So brainwash is kind of like one of the last like films. that's like been on my mind. So you go back, you watch clips, you watch a movie and, and it's kind of like, <laughs> now I watch movies through the lens of brainwash and a movie like Inland Empire yeah. made by D David Lynch, who his film lost highway, kind of the perfect film to be featured in, in brainwash. Yeah. I don't know if you how well you know Inland Empire. It's a movie I watched so many times, and I love D David Lynch. But I yeah. noticed that in Inland Empire, when well, there's not too many men who are hit or killed. But in Inland Empire, when a woman is hit, murdered, killed, David Lynch plays with sound a lot in general. But like the crunching, like the bone crunching, the audio, it's almost like he intentionally turns it up. I don't wow. know if you ever noticed that specifically with Inland Empire. Well, I, I mean, I saw. Inland Empire a long time ago, and I really yeah. I don't remember that level of detail, um, but I'm not surprised to hear what you said, and I I think that you know David Lynch is certainly uh, a masterful, amazing filmmaker who I admire in many many ways, sure. um, and in some respects we're similar in in that you know his work is kind of like pure unconscious channeling, um, I and I do that too in my own way, but at the same time, you know, his, he, I, I, you know, let's say, you know, we don't see a lot of political consciousness in David Lynch's work and most especially as, as regards women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Alien Empire is a movie that like it takes a lot. It's it's over three hours long, so you gotta like set some time aside to watch it. Yeah. But I'm telling you, if you have time, I, I don't want to say to kill. I don't want to insult Dave Lynch. If you have time to kill, but that movie more than any other, because Lost Highway and Eraserhead are probably the two best examples of him distorting audio. But yeah. I feel like now he takes it up a notch with in, with Inland Empire, which is a movie I saw it so many times in the theater. And now watching it at home, you know, last week, it's like, oh, wow, like the hits. You know what I, I liken it to? I don't know how well, you know, like with in, in Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, when someone gets punched, it's almost like that cartoony sound. Yeah. And it's almost like that in Inland Empire, but the volume's turned up, the volume's distorted. And I really say all that to say for the listeners, this is a good thing because I just think it's almost like, depending on where you are with film, brainwashed kind of turns on a filter. In, inside right. you know and i think it's fun it's like to some people well, I don't know. dissecting films is not fun but i think for me i appreciate it i'm sorry well, what you about no to no say? i think dissecting films is fun but i think sometimes like i can only talk from like a place of privileges as a man like sometimes i like by learning about implicit things in in media in music in film it helps me turn my filter on so I can see where things are happening and understand the implicit issues that happen in uh, patriarchal systems, especially in film. Because even, even if it's, I think a lot of times it's implicit, it's not that, I don't know. I mean, I like to think that most male directors and uh, directors of photography and cinematographers and editors aren't sexist patriarchal pieces of crap but you know a lot of films you're like why is this scene here why is this so prioritized like yeah there's there's this uh there's that concept that came from comic books called like women in refrigerator syndrome oh wow where where like literally there was an issue of green lantern comic uh you know content warning uh where like one of the one of one of the scenes like the character finds his girlfriend in the refrigerator and it was it was this idea that mostly mostly male creators will use um you know violence against women it's like a plot device as as a plot device and once you once you realize it you see like why why are they killing this character why are they doing violence against this character why are they always using this as a plot device and not only is it worrisome, it's also often very lazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, what are, what are, what are your takes and thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, um, I, I was recently um, asked to participate in the BFI a director's poll, you know, your 10 best films of all time. And um, I included metropolis on my list because i love metropolis and i think it's a genius work um i I also include a clip which is probably the original and you know mother of all male gaze clips um from metropolis i include it in brainwashed and i made a note you know with my bfi list to say you know this is a brilliant cinematic work that also includes the photographic objectification of women so i a woman in the case of metropolis well she's a double mirage but anyway the um the point is that you know not all 
men, you know, who objectify women in films are just, you know, horrible, um, you know, male chauvinist pigs or something like that. I mean, I think that the main thing that, that we're trying to say in Brainwash is just like, look how pervasive it is. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that a film might not be great. Um, I also love Vertigo, which is like a, you know, a massive male gaze movie. I mean, the whole thing's sort of about the male gaze in a weird way. Oh, yeah. So what does that mean? It's not a good film. No. Does that mean that, you know, well, I don't know about Hitchcock, but, you know, certainly Fritz Lang. I'm, I, I, you know, I don't think it was a horrible person. But, you oh, know, yeah. this is this is uh, the problem is that so much of it, you know, the proliferation, the the pervasiveness of it is why we have to look at it. You know, the fact that women have been excluded from cinematic history um, and that these images are just repeated, 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 you know, and and it's it's. It would be one thing, as I say in the film, you know, in a perfect world where we had a more kind of equal filmmaking pool, you know, and you might have a lot of different point of views. And so sometimes you have an objectified woman here or there, you know, it wouldn't have the impact is this repetition, this endless repetition to a point where it's really internalized and especially, you know, um, you mentioned it was kind of fun to watch Brainwash, but I can tell you that I've been at a lot of screenings where women are, are weeping at the end of Brainwash. And I don't yeah, mean a- like a couple of tears. I mean like weeping because they're, first of all, they feel seen. And secondly, they kind of are processing how pervasive and horrendous this system of visual language is and how much it affects us and it affects our real lives. You know, this afternoon I was reading some articles um, online. A friend sent me some articles about how successful women are punished for being successful. Um, It's like, it's a, you know, it's there, you know, women who are strong and powerful and successful and self-determining and who speak up and speak their mind you know i mean this is not new we know it you know that's like well wait a minute you know because we've had this this way of thinking and we've seen a million examples whether it's uh what's his name kavanaugh and you know christine blase ford where she who you know she had to be so polite and so perfect and so soft-spoken to even, you know, sort of be allowed to exist and tell her victim story of, uh, you know, being the victim of, of, of sexual assault. And he could just do whatever he wanted and cry and scream and turn red and be a jerk. And, you know, he's on the Supreme Court. So that hmm. is connected to, you know, this training that women are supposed to be, you know, in the refrigerator, so to speak. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that for me, I didn't, I think Marcus is, is a student of film and really enjoys comparisons and thinking about these things. So when I think when he says fun, I think it just more comes from like being a film nerd where for, where for me, 
fair enough. Yeah. For for me, I I didn't find I wouldn't you know no I say this with the utmost respect. I wouldn't call your movies fun, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't think things need to be fun. I mm-hmm. think there's a there's a time and there's a time and place for everything. And I wonder, you know, is it just implicit to to male directors, but even even I think, you know, I if 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 I if I'm talking out of line here, please please stop me, but uh Marcus told me that that Wanda was on your BFI list as well. Yeah. Right. And Wanda by, you know, Barbara Loden is probably one of my favorite movies. I it's love like, Wanda. It's like a top 10 and um, I was so happy when people started to talk about it again and it got like a proper remaster because the way I had to see it for a long time was a very bad copy on YouTube. Or, but wow. I was just I was just so moved by this movie because it was it was just a presentation. It was a character presentation that I had never seen before. Yeah. And I, I think I think, you know, if I'm talking out of line, I apologize. But I think part of that was because it was directed by by a woman who had gone through the experiences that she had gone through. Yeah. So even when she was showing violence against women, it was it was in a different way. Am I am I talking out of line here? No. Why? Why would you think you're talking out of line? I mean, I think uh, in fact in Brainwashed we include a clip um, from Wanda in the section where yeah. we have the women's experiences. And you'll notice if you look at that clip from Wanda, it's sort of in the what we call the rape section of the film. Um, there's this there's a clip from Wanda where you do see um, the fragmented legs. This man is like, you know, basically harassing her in the car and she's not very happy about it. And she's I mean, her whole story is. Obviously, it's a long, complicated story. But anyway, the, shot, the, the clip that we have in Brainwash, um, there's a shot of the guy, uh, you know, his hand sort of going over um, onto her legs. And you see her legs and they're, um, you know, they're, they're fragmented, which is one of the things we've pointed to. But at the same time, if you look at the edge of the frame, you'll see that the edge of the frame is her. It's her shoulder, it's, it's the edge of her face, it's some of her hair. And so we understand that it's her point of view on her own legs. And that's very uh, interesting because Wanda is, like you just said, you know, it is, and, and in this way I tie it to, to my own films, which is it's a film about the pain of being the beautiful object, you know. I mean, it's something that uh, you know. Now I'm I'm sort of at the age I'm beyond the beautiful object age, you know. But you know, it's something that I felt really horrifically when you know when I was younger, constantly, you know. Sure. And it's just like it's a. I think I wrote something like you know, beauty hangs around her neck like a ball and chain. You know, it's like that, you know, what are you supposed to do? Um, she has this kind of amazing depiction of the impossibility of her situation and the impossibility of her her choices and, you know, and how her 
being a sex object and being a beautiful woman, like how that plays into this kind of really depressing situation. Whereas the normal way it's portrayed is this is like fun and glamorous to be the sex object. Well, it's, it's interesting too, because another example of what I talked about on our last interview, when I said generational gaze, you know, it's interesting how um, Alfred Hitchcock, who, you know, I think generally speaking, I think it's safe to say a lot of people, just a casual movie viewer, just associate him with the films where we've, you know, whether it's Psycho, Vertigo, mm-hmm. but he's made silent films. So he comes from, you know, the term back in the day, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then when you think about the fact that the daughters of a couple of folks that he's worked with have gone on to be that object in the films of younger filmmakers who looked up to Hitchcock. You know what I mean? You have Brian De Palma who just worships the ground that Hitchcock, you know, walked on. He worked with Melanie Griffith. Her mother worked with Hitchcock. And then you have someone like uh, David Lynch who just, it's not even so much that, yeah, he idolizes Hitchcock. Lost Highway is essentially a remake of Vertigo when, when you really th- on, on oh, the most basic level from the the blonde haired woman and the dark haired woman oh, yeah. the same person to like so much you, you know what I mean and then when you think about folks our age in our early 40s late 30s and younger who who look up to David Lynch and don't even realize they might not even be familiar with the films of Hitchcock or Fritz Lang but the person that they look up to was you know it's that kind of generational mm-hmm. thing where like well I'm going to copy what uh, David Lynch did. I'm going to copy what Brian De Palma did. I'm going to copy what Tarantino did. Yeah. But before them, they did the same thing to their kind of idols who are, you know, plain and simple, are kind of responsible for a lot of the stuff that you talk about in in Brainwash. So I think there's that thing, too, that embedded kind of like you idolize someone, you want to copy them, and you just kind of want to blindly copy them. And going back to forgetting about context, it's like, Oh, I love that shot of the dead woman in the bathtub. I love that <laughs> shot of the woman falling off the building. I'm going to copy that. Oh, well, I'm going to copy the copy of that. Well, I'm going to co- You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's that kind of endless cycle of things, which right in my wheelhouse, because that's, that, that's just so much of what I do on my site and on Twitter. So can't stress enough. These are all the things that Brainwash brought up into my psyche. Like, oh, you know, oh, yeah. It's like people talk about Jamie Lee Curtis is you know one of the scream queens but it's like her mom was also you, you know what i mean so yeah. it all yeah it's all yeah it's it's both a spider web and a cycle you know at the same time sure yeah i mean even how there's like just a genre of films that want to be persona and i think there's movies that are persona clones where the director may have not even seen persona <laughs> Sure. Like what? Like which? Um. Well, recent stuff. Because I was gonna say, I mean, Mulholland Drive. To uh, obviously, like, kind or of. what's um, what's the movie that we covered? It came out in 2016. Yeah, I'm. I'm Hold on, I'm like... gonna pull it up. But yeah, there's like a there is a term um. Persona persona exploitation is <laughs> oh always shine. Oh yeah, always oh, shine yeah. is the most recent example of like. I didn't see that one. It's it, it is it's a good excellent. movie, but it's or we could go back earlier. Look at Robert Altman's images. Like there's no, I mean, he says he was inspired. It was a dream he had, but mm. there's too many similarities mm. for him to not have seen. Because Persona is there's too many 
shots in Persona that are just taught to everyone. But even the plot, it, it's not so much just the imagery, but now, now we're going to take it to context. Things like yeah. images, things like Mulholland Drive, Lost yeah. Highway, even Touches of Inland Empire, yeah. Always Shine, stuff like that. It's just like... Sophia Tikal. Yeah, Sophia Tikal's film. Um, Is that you, ha- you have, there's these, it's the idea of like a doppelganger. Oh, yeah. Same actress plays a role, but then there's like a break in the film and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, so... Yeah, I'm sorry. You, it sounded like you wanted. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. No, no. I think I saw the beginning of that film. I, yeah, I, I seem to recall. Yeah, at the AFI yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, it it certainly evolves, and and that's one of those things that that happens. Like, there's um, a filmmaker who I mostly like. I'm not going to tear him down, but uh, Z- Xavier Dolan. He's actually he, he he's a young guy. Yeah. There's just so many Godard isms in his like not not and not general. But then in an interview, he said, you know, he had only seen Breathless and Band of Outsiders. And then everyone called him a liar. But it's like, well, he's not even, he wasn't even 30 when he did the interview. And it's like, it's totally understandable to get your film knowledge from like just watching Tarantino movies, but not seeing the source. I think that happens, I I do think that Uh happens a lot. Uh I think think it happens a lot with specifically uh, cult filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino, Wes Anderson. uh, even uh, Dave Eggers, there are people that are just very popular, and I'm not I'm not talking smack about them though though obviously I could, but oh you mean Robert Eggers? Robert yeah, Eggers, I like yes. Robert Eggers. Uh, yeah, um, where they're very referential, and people may not go deep into the references, but I just thought yeah I thought, I thought going time back to to brainwash like looking at these examples, I just think was really elucidating Mm, Um, mm. and you know i i'm not yeah so like and then again like with with queen of diamonds like what what was it like you know making a movie like that in the 90s and just like i don't know i've never seen anything like it how would you describe it um well i uh you know i kind of was always doing my own thing. I mean, I I feel like I myself became film literate um, relatively late into my filmmaking. You know, I always have to remind people that when I was growing up, there was no internet, you know. Right. Yeah. There was no video store. There was no, like, go online and see anything you want. Um, and uh, so I also... Um, you know, feel like I was lucky because my mother did not want to have a TV in the house. So I, I had no TV and uh, growing up. And so when I went to make my own films, um, you know, I did what I felt inside. And I had my own uh, kind of relationship to image making and editing and um i i feel you know it it i i think you're right that it's not really like anything else and and um i really sort of you know tried to express something that i was feeling inside and and turn that into a cinematic way of of expression without reference 
to other films, but just a kind of my own way of processing imagery and my own understanding of the way that film, and I, I'll quote Tarkovsky here, is sculpting in time. You know, I love his book. It's, um, he's, he, he talks a lot about how, uh, you know, the whole idea of time, usually, you know, most films have a very basically standard way of reproducing time, you know. And, and Queen of Diamonds reproduces time in a different way, you know. Well, pretty much all my films do. So there is this way that we, we've been taught to think about film and think about cutting and think about time. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's okay and sometimes it's brilliantly done. But um, I think the thing that makes those films unusual is how they approach time and space in a, in a, in a different kind of way. Yeah. That's that, you know, I was going to say, and this is to me, I think this is the best, one of the best compliments. That is a movie that to me seems like void of influence as much as possible. Everybody, I mean, there's like a subconscious, there's yeah. outside of the, Hey, I can't help it in life. Not, not, and not just movies. But just the idea that there's just long stretches of no dialogue. And it's not to say Queen of Diamonds isn't the first movie to do that. No. But at the time, this was like... Right. And Reservoir Dogs was just around the corner. Reservoir Dogs is a movie I like, by the way. I don't want anybody to... You know, no, but, this, but it's is, like, this is it's, 1991. Yeah. Uh, it's about a, a female black blackjack dealer in yeah. Las Vegas going on her own journey. Yeah. And it, it's just like, unlike... Yeah, it's just unlike anything I've I've ever seen. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say, yeah, if Queen of Diamonds had been made by another filmmaker at that time, it would turn into some kind of thriller where she gets mixed up in a, a deal going wrong. You know, there's so <laughs> many things. And and to be honest, there's a couple of moments where, you know, there's a scene where the guy bursts into the room like, oh, wait, what the hell's going to happen here? Or there's little things like that. that I mean, they eventually, I'm using air quotes, they dissolve. But sometimes when long stretches of i'm using air quotes again nothing happens it actually does build the i'm not even gonna say this it just it, it keeps my attention and, and there's other people whose brain works like that where it's like well what's gonna happen you know and that's and that kind of just i hate to say string to say string you along it, it, it it's almost no. like deceptive like that but that's all i can think of it, it just you know it there's keeps your attention of, i guess i guess a, i could say yeah there's a lot of anticipation there you go fine yeah and yeah, how, yeah, so when you say like this movie came from just like your own point of reference, like how did that go about? Um, <clears throat> well, I, um, you know, I wrote the script. I was in living in LA where I still live, but, um, you know, I wrote the script uh, about a blackjack dealer and I had never actually been to Vegas um, when I started working on the script and I had uh, seen a photograph of this kind of angry alienated uh, cas uh, uh, casino worker in the photographic book called Family of Man um, which despite the sexist title is a lot of great photographs but anyway 
Um, I was like very fired up about this idea of, of like a croupier in a casino, but, uh, and I drove from LA, I went to Vegas and I had never been there. And I was like kind of blown away by, well, first of all, it was completely different than what I had in my mind. You know, I had this kind of elegant velvet couches chandelier concept of a casino and i went there and it's you know it's american kitsch you know these these buffets there are elephants walking down the street like pretty much everything i saw i just <laughs> put into the movie you know there was a suicide sure. behind the uh casino there were elephants that a lot of the things that i just saw when i was there i I wanted to include and but you know the real process of of filmmaking for me um not so much brainwash brainwash is very conscious pro process but my other films are much more of an unconscious process so i sort totally. of try to get my head out of it <laughs> i leave my head out of it and i let something else um, take over and that something else is a bit hard to describe, but I call it a vocation, you know. Um, it's very much like a religious vocation. I, I mean, it's in the sense that it's sort of bigger than me or my, my, you know, my little self, my little brain, my ego self or whatever you want to call it, I don't know. But um, <clears throat> when I'm making the films, I, I'm kind of, in this other space where I'm, I feel more like I'm channeling something and I have to get out of the way or, or more like not so much get out of the way. Like I'm a servant of, I'm a servant of the vision. I'm not sure where it comes from, but I'm just there to execute. I've heard, it's funny cause you hear musicians. I mean, you're an artist, <clears throat> you hear musicians, painters, sculptors, say s similar things just yeah. with different words where it's like this it's almost this, this is my purpose i'm here to do this it's almost like uh yeah there's like a spiritual thing working through me yeah Whether you're painting writing a song shooting something putting s s something to film so yeah er everything you say makes it makes per perfect I, sense. I do think you know in that sense i'm you know i'm closer to <clears throat> you know a lot of probably more traditional artists than most film directors who, you know, uh, a lot of film directors, it's more, you know, partly, of course, because of the huge amount of money involved in making a film, you know, you have a million people review the script and a million people review the, the cut and, you know, 8,000 people re reflect on the casting and blah, blah. You know, I mean, that, when you have this huge amount of, of, you know, communal, you know, cooking of the soup, um, it's, it's, it's inevitably a different process. And I mean, one of the ways that I kept my process kind of, I don't like this word, but pure, um, is that, you know, I produce, direct, write, shoot, edit, picture, edit, sound. I do everything and I don't have to consult with anyone or you know or get permission or check if it makes sense to somebody else in fact when i made uh finished queen of diamonds and the same thing was true of the bloody child and and is you know i was really only consulting with my sister tinka 
And we went to Sundance with Queen of Diamonds and The Bloody Child, and no, not one single human had seen the film um, before we presented it in public. Um, and that was, you know, I mean, just imagine if, if I had shown Queen of Diamonds, you know, to people for critique, they would have said, dealing scene too long, right? I mean, they would just have been yeah. like, so, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're sort of channeling your own inner truth or whatever you want to call it, um, it's a, it's a very much more, like you said, Marcus, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's closer to um, a musician or a, a painter, you know, these, these, these arts that tend to have a more individual, um, you know, sort of private aspect, you might call it. Well, yeah, there was a, there was like almost like a free jazz aspect to yeah. Queen of Diamonds, which which I can which I really can can vibe with. I think uh, I heard that about the Bloody Child too. I don't know if you've seen that one, but we now, you know it's now restored. I, I have, and it's funny with Scott's comment about free jazz, and you know your comment about it, it. It's funny because all of these things. See, now I need to go back and rewatch Queen of Diamonds because. I, I associate these things to stuff like dissolution and phantom love that are just totally very, at least to me, from I, I had no involvement in the movie. I'm just a spectator. Those to me seem like just truly subconscious, like mm. almost like a dream where until you said this, part of me felt like <clears throat> when making Queen of Diamonds, it was just incredibly meticulous. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean? it, it's, well. it's, it's not... Um, Obviously, there's a freeness. I mean, it it no. sounds weird to some folks, but there's a freeness to not have any dialogue for a long time, or to I'm using air quotes. Nothing happened, but it's just interesting. So now, hearing the actual person responsible for this piece of art say it makes me want to go back and rewatch it because I, I I wouldn't have thought of that. Well, second, what obviously. I mean, it's a good point because um, you know, meticulous is not necessarily you know contradiction with you know free flowing. I think that the um, it sounds like a difference, but it isn't. You know, yeah. I mean, I I I feel like that it's it is sort of that combination actually. So yeah. um, the I mean, so the free flowing is more like kind of the emotional, um, mm -hmm. the emotional spiritual zone. You know, that we kind of like, me and Tinka, we like go on an adventure into an unknown territory and, you know, capture what we saw. And that was very um, kind of like jumping off a cliff kind of feeling. And then, you know, I think with framing of the shots, I'm very meticulous. And with, with editing, very meticulous. So it's yeah. sort of a combination of those energies. Makes sense. That's, yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah, I, I think of, because this, this goes back to the BFI. There were, it was subconscious. I, you know, when I rewatched Queen of Diamonds after, it felt like the first time because it, it had been like tw 20 years. Wow. I thought of, you know, we've, we've had our Twitter discourse back and forth, but I thought of Jean Dillman. And then I, th I found a couple of interviews where you talked about, not even that, it's not so much about Jean Delmont, it's about your connection to Shanta Ackerman. Yeah. But that was still enough for me that was just like, okay, so I'm not crazy to think like, hey, there's, 
some something here not not even an intentional oh i want to do this shot it's just right it, it, it made sense and it's funny because it brings me back to your bfi list which from the stuff that you know it, lists always i mean you said yourself when you were telling me your list it's like it's impossible to impossible. make a list like this but it's always interesting to see what all what, what people picked and you know we're lucky enough to have a filmmaker here who you know she, you were kind enough to share your list with us and it's like to have Jean Delmont on it, you know, it's interesting because I love that. I'm, I'm using air quotes again. It was the number one film. Yeah. I don't necessarily trust that. Yeah. In the for you, I, I, who's this? I don't even think there was actually a ranking to, no. to your list. But no, there wasn't. It. it I, I. I expressed to you off off rec, off record offline how it's like yeah, Jean Delmont's one of my fa favorite movies. I mean, it's it's probably responsible for about twenty five percent of what I write about on my film blog. 25% of what I tweet about. But when it, I saw it at number one, it kind of made me wince a little bit. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know about this. I think this, it's like... How did that happen? <laughs> I have my reasons, but I don't even want to give them because yeah. it makes it... I, I don't want to cheapen it. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's like, ah, I, I think I know why they're doing this, and I don't like it. Why do you think they're doing this? To just like... It, it's almost as if to go, see, we picked the movie... Directed by a woman, starring a woman. So see, we've it's almost like the filling a quota. It, it's again, gender and race are different things, but sometimes there's a Venn diagram like crossover. So as a black person, when I see certain black characters in a movie, sometimes not always, it just it feels like oh, I think you wanted to have a black person here because you feel like you needed to to like make some check mark almost. Yeah. Um, and again, this this is me getting in my own head because. And that's the paradox because Jean Delmont is a masterpiece of a movie. So it's like you're complaining about this great movie being number one. But there's just, I think there's a little bit of politics behind it. But I don't say this as someone that dislikes Jean Delmont. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it almost sounds like I don't like it. It's like, oh, you picked this movie just because. But it's like, no, it's, it's, and part of it is my only child syndrome kicking in because it's like i don't want to share this movie with people that i feel won't appreciate it which is a very arrogant thing to say you don't have to, you don't have to tell me the world knowing about Chantal ackerman makes a more interesting world it does and i think it's probably gonna because that's i always felt like and in some if you read enough in so many words every once in a while you'll hear her say certain things where it's like i'm sick of talking about this movie like she's it, not 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 those specific words but it's almost like the J.D. Salinger catcher in the rye thing. Mm. But at the same time, she's got like 50 plus years of movies. And sometimes I could just tell in certain interviews and in certain things where she's like, hey, you know, I made other stuff, right? I, I, like that's kind of how, like that's the vibe I've absolutely gotten from her uh, o over the years at, at times, which mm. is totally human. It makes mm. sense. But yeah. people are going to be like, well, this woman here made this great movie. What else did, did did she do? So there is the positive that, that you know at least of, she made a she lot made of a lot of brilliant movies. I mean, her first movie she made what she's like eighteen or nineteen, I think. Uh, uh, Blow up my town, and she made movies until the day she she passed away. So um, yeah, news from home is still something that I really am sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love yeah. news. And from no home. home movie came out weeks after my grandmother had passed away. Oh. So that was like uh, yeah, that was very. In a good way, you know, it, it was emotional. I just, but, you know, your list is, is kind of one of the reasons sometimes why I like lists, because it's kind of like, oh, you picked this, really? Like, I mean, 
so things like and and if you don't mind when we post this we'll, we'll post if, if you don't mind us sharing your your top 10 yeah that's um, fine yeah yeah i mean like so jean delman vagabond as I've gotten to know, I feel like I've gotten to know you over the last few months. Certain <laughs> things like that. Andre Rublev, I thought you would go with The Mirror, honestly, from what I know of you. But still, the fact that you picked a Tarkovsky film, all that makes sense. But then stuff like Bless Their Little Hearts, I completely, just earlier today when I was going over this list, I was like, did I just miss this? She emailed this to me weeks ago. But I, I thought that's really cool. The, for those of you listening, the Billy Woodbury film, yeah. which, strangely enough, in certain circles... That movie is like more associated with uh, Charles Burnett, who is a friend of the show. He's been on a couple of times. Yeah. I have always found that the legacy of that movie is a bit weird because sometimes there's been times when that movie is incorrectly put with Charles Burnett's filmography. Cause, and for those of you who don't know, Charles Burnett, he helped edit, shoot it, produce it. Like he's a big part of it. Yeah. But it's still not his film. Right. Um, and it, 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 oh, it also stars. <laughs> more than half the cast of Killer of Sheep. So it, it it's one of those things. But it's nice to get... It's nice to see that movie, you know, and, and also La Cienaga, which I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect movie, but no, at the same time, a... if, if I called it... You know, if someone were to call La Cienaga a perfect movie, La, I, I would not be upset. La Cienaga and uh, Zama are perfect films. Yeah. I'm comfortable yeah, saying that. Fair enough. Those, yeah. there, there's like... How how could you get better than those? Yeah. So yeah. But that pick is interesting because a lot. I mean, there's a lot of dust up about the list from Jean Delman to the lack of Latin American film. There's there's not one. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, no. I read that. There's zero Latin American films in the BFI 100, which is why it goes back to why like, let's just not do these lists because it's just gonna like expose everything from like silliness to like holy cat like really not one you, you know what i mean yeah um, it's god it's yeah. also just like you know what's on your mind at the time that you do the list because i Bingo. mean there's so Bingo. many other films that i love you know like i mean i mean it was pointed out there's no Boonwell on there there's no pasolini on there you know yeah. like yeah. um <clears throat> i don't think i don't think i saw a pasolini well you know i mean um, there's so you know it's just Tokyo Story is a film that I love. I mean, there's just it's it, it yeah you can't really pick ten. It's just yeah impossible. no I, of course not. And then I also I, I was surprised not not in a bad way. It's just like huh I had I uh, you you had Nope <laughs> on your list as well, which is like that movie's only a few months old. I, I know. I well, I, I no, really wanted I, I wanted to put um, a more recent film, and I did. You know, the the BFI allows you to write like a couple of sentences. I think they're going to be posting that like uh, in January or something. So you know, I did make a note like, well, maybe it's too soon to say. You know. Um, and I don't know how I'll feel about Nope in 10 years, but <clears throat> when I saw it, I found it, um, really exciting and really interesting and really experimental, actually. I mean, for a film out of Hollywood, I think it's the most experimental film I've seen out of Hollywood. Um, from my perspective, it's, I, I thought the cinematography and the editing and the whole concept and the way it's about filmmaking and about our obsession you know with photographing ourselves and at the same time it's using this you know this kind of classic trope to to explore um 
deeper things, but also like superficial things at the same time. Um, it's just a really, I think it's a really interesting film and it's, uh, it's very, uh, it's, it, it, you know, it uses this, the trope of the alien, you know, the, and my cat is mewing. That's okay. She's, she's like, I don't like, nope. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> um, I think cats are more Tarkovsky. Yeah, cats are. <laughs> so, yeah, and the animals in it. I like the animals in it. And I like the, you know, the sort of combination of humor and horror. I don't know. I don't know. I just... I mean, I I have very low tolerance for films. I have to say, I'm not one of these people who just likes everything. Um, and uh, when I saw it, I was like, I want to see it again. Oh, and, awesome. and that's I mean, very rare yeah. for me. Like, yeah. if I want to see a film twice, I already know it's like very special because really doesn't happen very often. I, I'm the same. Now that I have less time myself to see movies, when I when I do watch a movie back to back, it's like okay, I think that means something. Yeah, right. And what you say is in for a Hollywood movie too. It's like, it's not even so much because there is nope is about just the love of cinema and appreciation yeah. of movies, but it's also about the appreciation of just like the moving image, like Michael yeah. Wincott's character, who when they cut to him, he's like, just shooting scorpions and and whatnot, and there's no yeah. going back to context. There's no context context there or that early shot of you know the jockey on the horse so there's there's all that oh yeah um, i love that yeah so. that's great we got skin yeah. in the game and i i yeah. i think that you know that feeling of you know being an excluded category but still having skin in the game i could relate to that you know as a woman sure. it's like you know i've had i'm not black but you know i've had skin in the game since my very first film um and you know no one even knows his name as uh, i think kiki palmer's uh character says you know we got right and 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 so i related to that on a sort of personal level too but it's um yeah i think it's uh really i i personally think it's a really interesting also the cutting style just just the, the sound design everything i really liked a lot I mean, it also transforms from, I mean, the way it was marketed was just a straight horror yeah. alien movie, and then the final act was more of just like a ragtag crew on a mission to capture this thing, and it was almost like Goonies made for adults, <laughs> almost, which, you know, I, I really like. But, you know, and going back to your comments about skin in the game, I think you got more than skin in the game, I think, because sometimes when you're in your world, to hear, not even just like film critics but just guys like me and scott who are just fans of yours and brainwashed is is doing great and it's only going to do better criterion featuring you last year you're having your blu-ray come out so i think all of these things just from a, from a I don't know, i'm trying to be non-biased it's I'd, I'd say skin in the game is an understatement you're still a force you're, you're you know Thanks. folks still love you Thanks. so you can see Brainwashed on iTunes um, starting December 20th and um, Brainwashed and all my movies are streaming on Canopy and will be on Mubi later this year as well. And we have um, a website called brainwashedmovie.com that has a lot of information and resources. 
Um, and if you need to reach out, I am always love hearing from people. It's uh, on Instagram, at Brainwash Movie or at Mancus Film. And, um, yeah. So thank awesome. you so much for having me on the show. It was an honor. No, thank you. Yeah, and everything, all the links for everyone listening, they're all going to be um, within the show notes. So make sure to check all that stuff out. Um, yeah, Nina, this is awesome. And just so you know, I'll be, like like I had mentioned off record, I'll be bugging you early next year as, as well. Um, I, I have more, I plan out my writing a year and ahead, uh, a year ahead. So I'm going to have some, some more Nina Menkes content on PinlandEmpire.com. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So, and, um, so no, can so I quote you? Can I quote you on social media as Brainwashed is one of your fave films of the year? Uh, at top three, too. Make, top make sure three? Okay. Please. Yeah. Top three from Zebras in America. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Can you, can, you send, can you send me that and I'll email so it's like official and in writing? Yeah, because I'll, well, I'll, I'll, I'll write it up on my site okay. beforehand so this way you can get the quote directly for, from the site I'll send all that stuff to you it seems like we're, 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 we're movie buddies now uh, yeah, we're movie anyway, buddies. So, which yeah. I appreciate very much by the way yeah yeah you gotta awesome. keep me posted on, on good films to see but um, thank you so much for your support it's, it's really important um, you know and I, I think your, you know, your show and your site are very influential and I'm proud to be part of it Oh man, I, I well, thank, thank, you. thank you. Appreciate that. So, all right. And for our fans, we're back. Yes. Let me.